0: So we are in a new series called Rivers in the Wilderness, where we are exploring a chapter at a time, the Book of Lamentations. If you didn't know, this series is actually tied into what we're doing at Life Groups. So as we go through Life Groups this season, we're going through the last of the the books of the Bible. The first season we did a a bunch of books of the Bible. This season we're doing more books of the Bible. And we're watching videos, and we're asking questions, and we're learning more about the basics of every single book of the Bible this year, using videos from a place called The Bible Project, which is really cool. And so what we did twice, we did this earlier this year, and we're doing it now, is we're doing a series based on one of the books that you're going to be studying this month at Life Groups. And we had a couple different choices, and I really kind of wanted to lean into an Old Testament book. And the one we picked is Lamentations, because doesn't that sound cheerful? You were just thinking, yo, I hope I can go to church and lament. Yeah. Woo! And last week, uh, I, I started this series of chapter one in a message entitled, When the City Burns Around You, which is also very cheerful. Because, you know, you, sometimes, though, it's like that in our life, isn't it? It feels like the city is burning down around us, and there's nothing we can do about it. So how do we act? How do we have faith? How do we respond to those situations? That was last week. The last chapter, really, the first chapter of Lamentations is often tied into the idea of being a funeral service. If you read the whole thing through, and you'll hear about that in your Bible Project video. If last week was a funeral, this week is a speaking for the dead, almost a eulogy of sorts. Lamentations 2 is just talking about the fall of the city of Jerusalem and how the prophet writing this letter feels about that and some of those deep emotions. And there's two key verses here. One is Lamentations 2.14. Again, we're going to be very cheery here today. The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. Hallelujah. He's saying Jerusalem fell... Because you listened to the wrong people. You let the wrong sources speak into you. You had prophets who just told you what you wanted to hear. And that has been true throughout the ages. If, if somebody is talking to you and it's a spiritual matter and doesn't kind of pull you a little bit, it might not be true. If it all just makes you happy and I'm doing everything perfectly, it might not be true. Cause I don't know about you, but I'm pretty messed up. And when I really read scripture, I listen to people preach on scripture. It usually kicks me in the shin a little bit. Cause I realize, oh man, I'm pretty messed up. But these prophets, these false prophets, he's lamenting these people just told you what you wanted to hear. They didn't tell you what you were doing wrong so that you would not end up in exile. They give you false and misleading statements in 217 he's kind of assigned the blame and then he says hey the lord has done what he planned he has fulfilled his word which he decreed long ago he has overthrown you without pity he has let the enemy gloat over you he has exalted the horn of your foes so the visions of your prophets were useless. They didn't tell you what you needed to hear to not have all this happen to you. They just spoke into you, and they said the things you wanted to hear is to like, "Yeah, we're doing great. Keep worshiping idols. Keep sinning. Yay, I can do whatever I want, and God doesn't care And then God steps in, and the prophet says, "The Lord did what He planned." This wasn't a surprise to God that you went into exile. He fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. When you read the covenants of the Old Testament, it talks about how you know, God's going to bless you if you follow his law, but if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And the prophet here is saying, these are the consequences of your actions. It's overthrown you. It's let the enemy gloat over you. He's exalted your foes. I think one important point to make, is this chapter really has a lot to do with the wrath of God. And when I say that, I think different images evoke in different people. I know for Pastor Tim, plays Magic the Gathering. And Magic the Gathering is a card game in which there's a card called the wrath of God that deletes all enemies from the board. So when I said something about the wrath of God in a text message, he replied with that card, a picture of it. Because he's a nerd, like me. Other people, I won't name names, think of Pulp Fiction. Not that I've ever seen that movie. And a certain special set of lines, I believe, said by Samuel L. Jackson, which I cannot quote at church. No, 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 no. The chief will take me in. And one of the things, and again, this will be in in our life groups, and you'll get to discuss this a lot more, but I want you to understand what, what, it, what divine wrath really is. Because the Old Testament has a lot of wrath of God kind of verses. And then there's some in the New Testament too. People try to pretend there's not, but there are. God's wrath is not volatile anger. Because when we think of wrath, some of us think of somebody having being volatilely upset and angry and aggressive. Maybe you have some kind of trauma in your past and you dealt with someone who had volatile anger issues. And so you read these passages, and you're little like, oh, is God like that? Because I've experienced that, and there's nothing good about that. And I agree, there's nothing good about that. Volatile anger is not what we're talking about here. God doesn't just go off the handle and smite people. You know, we joke about it like, you know, if I go into church, lightning will strike me. That's not how God works. Divine wrath is God's justice. And justice is something for which deep inside of our souls we actually crave. So when we read about the wrath of God, we don't want to think of this being this volatile, angry, just God smiting people out of, out of just impulse. But what his wrath is, when we read about it in scripture, is the Lord has done what he planned. There's nothing spontaneous about it. There's nothing volatile about it. God does what he plans. He fulfills his word because God is always true, and he does what he has decreed long ago. When sin goes on for too long, God implements justice. Which, if you can get that in in your soul the right way, will actually be a very comforting thing, because many times when we have moments of doubt, we have moments of, God, how can you let that happen? Two-year-old dead this week in our city. God, how can you let that happen? Divine wrath is God's justice. And for everyone involved in that, we want God's grace to descend on that situation. I don't want anyone to encounter God's wrath. But ultimately, one of the tenets of our faith, at the end of the age, there will be a judgment. And God will judge the living and the dead. And there will be true justice done. And that gives me hope. The evil of the world isn't going to go unanswered forever. That's the kind of idea you even see in Lamentations. Jeremiah is lamenting, and this is awful, but he sometimes has these little bits of faith where he's like, but God, we know that you're good. So we want to have divine wrath right here. It's not God's justice. All right, by the way. I have a sinus infection. We'll have to cut that out of the podcast. Uh, Divine wrath is not God's volatile anger, but it's God's planned, fulfilled, decreed justice. And he's doing, basically God's like, I'm going to do what I told you I'm going to do. And isn't it funny when we're mad at God? Because he does what he said he would do. God's like, don't do that. That will hurt you. Then you do that, and it hurts you. Your fault. We're dumb. I'm including myself in that, by the way. So we're going to take this, this little bit where the, the prophet's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. And I want to kind of juxtapose this with something that happened in the book of First Kings. I've cut some of it out, but it's still a pretty long story, so you have to bear with me. So there's this prophet named Elijah. Not Elisha. These are two confusing prophets. I don't know why they had almost the same name. God has a sense of humor, I would imagine. Elijah. It hasn't rained in a long time, and the king wants to kill Elijah because he talked to God and the rain stopped, and yada, yada, yada. And so you have Elijah and the prophets of this guy named Baal. Baal's not a good guy. Baal's a false god. We don't like Baal. And Elijah steps up and, and they're saying, Hey, Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. I'm it. I'm, I'm it. That's it. But Baal has 450 prophets. It's a few. Get two bowls for us. This is how religion worked about 3,000 years ago, by the way. It's a little bit cleaner now. I don't have to have a blood drain on the floor anywhere. Let Baal's prophet choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces, and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on wood, and I'm not going to set fire to it either. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they're going to set up two competing altars with a side of beef, And they're going to call on their God to bring fire. And whichever God answers by fire is, is the true God. And so they do all this. And the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and they call on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. This is one of my favorite parts of scripture right here. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and someone needs to go wake him up. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And then I had to skip ahead. We don't want to be in reading this for a million years. Basically, he dumps a bunch of water on it. Water. He's trying to get fire, so basically he dumps water on it. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. So we see the prophet writing in Lamentations about the fall of Jerusalem, about how God's planned wrath has come, and God has done what he said he's going to do to people who continually, continually, continually disobeyed. Then we go back way earlier in Israel's history, and we see the same sort of thing playing out. Because this is in Israel. Israel has an evil king, and they're worshiping Baal instead of God. And these people who are worshiping the false god are trying to get that false god to do something for them, and then God answers with fire on the other one. We have to understand with all of this that God is slow to anger, but will judge human evil. That's one of the, the, the themes of lamentations. And again, is it the most cheerful theme? Not always. But when I think when we shift our perspective from it being some sort of volatile wrath to being, hey, everything that's wrong, God is going to make it right, this actually becomes a statement of hope that God is slow to anger. But someday, everything that's wrong, he is going to make it right. When we see those things that we're like, that, why? Someday God's going to make that right. Ecclesiastes. Has a, verse that I, a couple of verses that I love here. It says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what He has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this God has made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In a kind of very Ecclesiastes way of saying, well, The good times, the bad times. What good, when it's happy, God has made one as well as the other. The prophets of Baal were dancing in the wrath of God. They were dancing in the middle of God's divine justice. God was taking that brokenness, and he's telling them he's going to make it right again, He's going to restore rain to Israel, and he's going to use Elijah to do amazing things. The divine justice of God was present at those two altars, and the prophets of Baal danced. That could be my story. I'm just dancing along, doing my own thing, thinking there's no consequences to my actions in the wrath of God. When you're dancing in the wrath of God, the divine justice is there. Do you know that Jesus is actually right next to you with grace? And he wants to cut in. You're dancing, you're going the wrong way, you're doing the wrong thing, you're making the bad decisions. And Jesus is like, hey, let me cut in here. Let me cut in here with my grace and my love, and I'm going to dance you off in a different direction. And I'm going to take you into the life-empowered mission of Jesus. I'm going to make you an agent of love and hope and peace, and you're going to be the one who's going to see those wrong things and make them right. There is great hope for each one of us. There was a great river in this wilderness. If we realize today that I've been doing stupid with a capital S, and I'm about to find my mouth with some consequences from this. Just let Jesus cut in. Let him cut in. Change your dancing partner. You don't need to be dancing with Baal anymore. He's not going to answer with fire anyway. And all those prophets died very quickly. wants that. Jesus is, is, is right there for you with hope. God has made that time where you're doing stupid as much as he's going to make the time where you're going to get to redeem that for something else. You can't discover anything about your future, but what you can do is know that you're going into that future in the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ. You're not going to know. Is it always going to be good? No. Are you going to face pain? Yes. Are you still occasionally going to do stupid things? Probably. But I'd very rather be dancing in the grace of God as I go through those than dancing in the wrath of God. Would you pray with me?